you stand for just a moment? I want to read a couple of verses to you. I'm going to begin in verse 7, then we're going to jump straight over to verse 16. So Isaiah chapter 1, verse 7, and then we're going to go to verses 16 through 20. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says, Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire, your land. Strangers devour it in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. In verse 16, the Bible says, Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. You may be seated. You know, when you think about this subject of desolation, you look at our nation, you say, well, preacher, we're not desolate. Uh, folks, I want to tell you, we are desolate when it comes to spiritual things. Our nation is so focused on pleasure and entertainment, it's unreal today. And, and that's the real focus of our nation today, to entertain people, to influence people for all the things that are out there that we can go and we can do. But this desolation, it doesn't bring to mind anything pleasant, but the thought of maybe something that's barren, that's empty, that's bleak, that's dismal, that's isolated, maybe something that's remote might come to our minds. And, and when you look to the scriptures and you see this, and he says, your country is desolate. Now, he gave some specific things that had happened in Judah. And this all came about, and if you go back and you read verses 1 through 6, you begin to see what actually happened to them. And, and the reason the desolation occurred, but it was a sin-sick situation that brought them to this place. And so, folks, even though there might be financial prosperity at times, financial prosperity does not mean spirituality. And sometimes we confuse the two. And Judah was doing well, but then all of a sudden there was this collapse. And believe me, it can happen in a, in a, in a moment's notice. And we think not, but it can come upon us. No one ever thought that 9-11 would occur. But our nation was attacked that day, wasn't it? Our, our nation, our land was attacked that day. Not only did they uh, get up to New York, they got down to the Pentagon. And believe me, the plane that went down in Sewickley, they were headed to the White House. And the thing of it is, is that we think that our borders are so safe and so secure and we don't have any problems and we've got all these weapons and we've got all these things. I want to tell you something, God can remove that in a heartbeat. And the thing is, is what we need is Christ Jesus. As we look at this, desolation found here in the scriptures is God bringing forth his indictment. And when you think about an indictment, that's some serious charges being brought against the people. And so God's bringing these serious charges against Judah. And what it is, they are bringing it against Judah, and he's saying, what we're reading here, all these charges are brought against them, and the Lord used some strong language here, and he says, this all came about, and I want you to understand this, because of the condition of your heart. <laughs> because of the condition of your heart. And these all came about because of where they were spiritually, and these entered into the nation of Judah. And we see all that brought them to the place of being miserable people, and yet, the love of the Lord shines through in this darkest time. And I look at this, and the reason I read verse 7 to you is because it's a dark time, isn't it? It's a dark time in the nation. It's a dark time in Judah. And God comes over and he says, now let me tell you how to fix this situation. And what does he tell them? He says, wash you, make you clean. <laughs> 
He tells them what to do about the situation that they find themselves in. And believe me, folks, God communicates with the people through Isaiah how to get back into a right relationship with God. This is the God of heaven. This is their God. This is the God of that nation, and he wants a relationship with them. God wants a relationship with us. He wants us to be walking with him. He doesn't want us to become desolate. He wants us to be strong, but he wants us to be strong spiritually. Now, sometimes being strong spiritually does bring prosperity with it, but the fact is is that sometimes when we're on the mountain peak, we don't need God very much because things are well. Things are full. (laughs) Things are going well for us, and we forget God, and that's what happened to Judah. Now, the challenge I have for us is, are you praying and fasting? By the way, folks, fasting is not just an Old Testament thing. And fasting is not a a weight loss program. Fasting is us allowing God to get a hold of our heart. It's not us fasting that we might manipulate God and get him to do something. But praying and fasting goes together. Not only in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament, and we see God showing the importance of praying and fasting. Praying and fasting is about God having us, not about us manipulating God. And we want God to have us, and so we begin to pray and fast. And folks, I want to challenge you, maybe just one day a week, pick or choose a time where you can pray and fast. You say, well, preacher, I'm on all these medications. Talk with your doctor, and believe me, there's no problem with fasting. You can fast for a number of hours and maybe forego breakfast or maybe forego lunch. But in the meantime, when those hunger pains come, the purpose of fasting is that you might be reminded when that hunger pain comes, you know, I need God. I need God. And you know, folks, there's nothing like it when we're hungry. We realize without God, you have nothing. And the thing of it is, is sometimes when those hunger pains arrive, they remind us of how much we actually need him. When we look at this, are you praying and fasting that the Lord would bring about revival so that our community, our nation, can avoid desolation? Now, God does not want his people wandering in darkness. He always gives them a way to revive their hearts through his word. God always gives them a way to revive their hearts through his word. And he does the same here with Judah, and he gives them exactly how to be revived. Now, when we look at this, if a country is to avoid this desolation, there's some things that need to take place. If you underline in your Bible, I want you to look at verse 16. Uh, Verse 16 says, put away the evil. Put away the evil. That is one of the things that must be done. Secondly, I look in verse 18, and he says, come now. There's a coming together with the Lord. He said, come now and let us reason together. There's a coming together with God. There's a putting away of evil. There's a coming together with the Lord. And lastly, I want you to get a hold of this. And I want you to notice what he says in verse 19. If ye be willing and obedient. If ye be willing and obedient. I think God is looking for willing and obedient hearts. He's looking for willing and obedient hearts. Now, putting away evil, when you look at verse 7, we see the condition of the nation. When you get to verses 16 through 20, he says one of the things that you need to do and you can move from this desolate situation is you need to put away evil. And every one of us, and I don't know about you, but I love children who listen. How many of you love children who listen? Amen? When you tell them something, you know, you're glad they're listening. But you know what's better for me? Not only that they heard me, but then they go and perform what I asked them to do. How many of you like that? Huh? I've got a barn now, and I've got all my tools, and there's a, uh, a place for everything, and everything's in its place. 
Anybody like that? Am I just the only weirdo? And, uh, and my daddy taught me that when I was growing up. So there's a place for everything, and everything's in its place. And, and, and you know, I don't mind when my family uses my barn, and, and they're up there doing that. But once they're done with my barn, you know what, Brother Bill? When I go back to get my hammer, do you know where I'd like to see my hammer? Right where it hangs all the time. Wouldn't that be nice? Now, here's the thing. You may communicate that message, and they may say, Dad, I hear you, and then you go up there, and you have to call them and say, Where's my hammer? I don't know. <laughs> Who had it last? You see, it's good when people listen and perform, isn't it? Boy, we like kids that listen, but boy, how many of you like it when you say, Hey, listen, it's time to clean up your room. It's coming, Jessica. Just wait. It's awesome, man. And it is exciting. And uh, man, and whenever we just have to spank them over and over and over and over, it just gets more exciting all along the way. Right, Brother Dustin? And uh, so the thing of it is, is that we not only want them to hear, we want them to do what? Obey, don't we? We want them to do it. We want them to perform it. So everyone loves that child. But the greatest need here at Calvary Chapel Baptist Church is revival. And revival comes through a people that have a willing and obedient heart. <laughs> we have to be willing to reach the lost with the gospel. We have to have a heart that obeys the word of the Lord. And God said, go ye into all the world, didn't he? And so God told us what to do. And he's looking for a willing and obedient heart. Judah is in a mess. If you go and you read this, they are messed up. And God sets forth all these charges before them. He said, your country is desolate. If you watch the news or the headlines for any moment of time, did you ever wonder what is happening in our nation when wrong is right and right is wrong? I mean, are, am I the only one watching that newscast or are you seeing it too? And, and, and I look and I see everything that's wrong seems to be right and everything that's right seems to be wrong. And, and I'm sitting there and, and I watch it and all I want to do is take my 357 and put it through the screen. I'm like, these people are fools. And, and they really believe what they're saying. And, and the thing of it is, is that we're upside down in our nation. And, and, and listen, we are headed toward a time that we see in Thessalonians where it says they will fall under a great delusion and believe a what? Believe a lie. Think of the lies that are being told. And there's that absorption of that thought that this is real. And it's being taken in. To escape desolation, God puts forth some requirements to them. And be reminded that this is the charge given to the world, not just the world, but it's given to God's people. And so when we read this, we may say, look, it's the world's problem. It's the world that's desolate. No, I'm telling you, God is speaking to the nation of Judah. He's saying to them, you got the problem. And listen, we may sit back and we may say, well, it's Antifa or it's CNN or it's this or it's that or it's this, it's these Democrats or it's these Republicans or it's this. I mean, we've got all kinds of reasons why it's going on. And folks, listen, it is God's people allowing God to get a hold of our hearts, being willing and obedient. We need to let God get us. We can often confuse the idea that the Lord's just speaking to the downtrodden and the sin-soaked world, but I want to tell you something. Judgment's going to come to the house of the Lord first. <laughs> it's going to show up here first. And what we have to realize is we have a responsibility back to God to reach people with the gospel. Listen, if we want to see a nation changed, <laughs> then we need to reach that nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
If we want to see people put away evil, we got to bring them truth. Our role is to communicate the message of the Word of God to this downtrodden uh, place. You, you uh, Write this down, Philippians 2.15, we won't go there. But God said that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst, now listen to this, of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. And believe me, folks, there's a lot of crooked and perverse things going on today. We were watching 48 Hours last night. I made Emily come down and sit down and watch it. And I said, I want to show you something. And I want to challenge all of you to do this. We have no problem in handing our children a phone today. A little 13-year-old girl lost her life by getting on a social media site called Kick. I brought Emily down and let her watch it last night, and I said, you know, this is part of the reason why I want my kids' passwords for their phone. In fact, here's the thing. We used to be so afraid that our children were going to get snatched by somebody, and now the very people that we thought that they were going to get snatched by, they're meeting with them in their bedroom alone at night on social media. That little girl lost her life. 13 years old. She climbed out an upstairs window to meet with a man who's 25 years old. And uh, listen, a 25-year-old man going to meet a 13-year-old girl at 2 o'clock in the morning is not a good situation. Would you agree? We live in a crooked and perverse nation. A 30-year-old man chasing after a 15-year-old girl, and they set up a sting operation and caught him. But it's happening, folks. Now listen, there, there are people out there that are crooked and perverse. We live in a crooked and perverse nation. And what I'm sharing with you is, is we even look around and say, well, this is just a good community. I, I mean, preacher, you've got to understand, we live in Mayberry. I want to tell you, there's problems in Mayberry. There's sin in Mayberry. And the thing of it is, is that we need the gospel in Mayberry. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ getting out to it. When he says this, he said, listen, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, what are we to do? We're to shine as lights to the world, holding forth, now listen to me, the word of what? The word of God. What's going to change a crooked and perverse nation? The word of God. You see, it's not going to be who's in the White House. It's not going to be who gets in Congress. It's not going to be who our local mayor is or, or, or whether uh, uh, we get the right sheriff or not. It is going to come through the Word of God. This is the message from God to Judah. The indictment that came against them, we'll see in just a moment why that came down to them. Because they turned away from their God. Now God commanded Judah to do the following for the indictment brought against them. What does he say? Wash you. Now he wasn't talking about taking a shower. He was not talking about taking a shower. When he said wash you, he's talking about that inward person, isn't he? He's talking about the minds and the hearts of men and women. He said, wash you, make you clean. He wasn't talking about polishing stuff up. He's talking about you as an individual. What are you doing to get yourself clean from the inside out? And he says this. He said, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes cease to do evil. Now, here's the challenge. We need to get on our knees before God and say, God, what evil is present in my life? You say, preacher, I'm a saved man. I'm a saved woman. How could you possibly say that to us? I'm telling you, we all need to drop to our knees and say, Lord, what is it that's in my life that needs to be gone? Because all of us have it. And what he's saying, if you're going to cease from evil, you need to clean up. You know, what's our New Testament answer to this? What does the Bible say? 
He said, draw nigh to God and he'll do what? Draw nigh to you. Now listen, this is New Testament. We're not talking about Judah here for the moment. Are you with me? He said, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify ye hearts, ye what? Double-minded. Double-mindedness is, is I'm going to try to walk in the world and I'm going to try to walk in the church. Now, uh, brother, dude, come on up here. I want to show them something because you got longer legs than me. Amen. So, Brother Duke, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put one foot right here, okay? And I want you to straddle. I want you to put your other foot down here. Go ahead, brother. Just turn it sideways this way. Now, I don't know if you can go all, if you can go all the way down. That's exciting. Okay? I know. I don't want you to do that. Just hang in there for a minute. i got to give the illustrations. You, you holding on? Not pulling a groin, are you? Okay. <laughs> so here's the thing. When we want to walk in the world and we want to walk in the church at the same time, it doesn't work. Do you know what? It looks really awkward to people who are unsaved. They see the saved acting like this. So, brother, I'd like you to just walk as smoothly as you can across there. That looks pretty weird, doesn't it? That's why I had him do it instead of me. Now, here's the thing. When I'm trying to have one foot in the world, and one foot in the church. That looks awkward, doesn't it? Trying to live like the world, but I'm trying to live in the church at the same time. And the unsaved world sees us. Now you got to turn around and go back the other way. When the unsaved world sees us, what's it look like? Looks a little weird, doesn't it? Now, brother, come on down and just step on this first step right here and just kind of walk along, just straight along there. You know... Straight is gate and narrow is the way. Right? Broad is the path to what? When his legs were far apart, it's hard to walk, isn't it? But boy, when he was walking on this, straight is the gate and narrow is the way. What I'm challenging you with is this as believers. The Bible said, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. When we're double-minded, we've got one foot in the church and one foot in the world. And we're trying to walk that way. How do you do that? Believe me, the unsaved look at us and they see that. And they say, that person's trying to live like the world. And believe me, the heathens know what we're supposed to do. Am I right? Do heathens know what we're supposed to do or they don't? Have you ever had a heathen look at you as a saved person and say, why would you do that? Why would you say that? Why would you act like that? Why would you tell that joke? Why would you go here? Why would you go and do those things? Why would you talk to your mom that way? Why would you say those things to your dad? Why would you speak that way? You're supposed to be a... Hey, Jonah experienced it, didn't he? They knew on that boat, the heathens knew what Jonah was supposed to be doing. <laughs> and here's the thing. When we walk with one foot in the world and one foot in the church, we're not putting away evil. We're trying to be double-minded, aren't we? Now, I challenge you with this thought. Just as Judah could not remain double-minded and expect the blessings of God, how can we expect the goodness of God to shine down upon us when we're trying to do both things? Why would we expect God to bless us when we're doing both things? Now, listen, imagine, now, we saw Brother Duke up here doing this. Imagine the church building itself. The church itself. One foot in the world and one foot in here hard to see that, isn't it? It'd be a kind of a crippled-looking building, wouldn't it? 
And so us as a body of believers, we need to go out unto them and win them, but we don't need to become them to win them. <laughs> Amen? We have to go out unto them and win them. And that's the responsibility that we have. And I believe if we're going to see revival come, we've got to put away some wrongdoing, folks. Listen, sin will keep the people of God and a church from seeing revival. Sin will do that. Sin will keep the people of God and a church from seeing revival. James tells us this. I love these two verses. But he giveth more grace. Isn't that beautiful? But he giveth more grace. And wherefore he says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil, and he'll do what? He'll flee from you. He'll get away from us. So if you're going to say, I don't know how to put away evil, <laughs> draw nigh to God, and he'll do what? Draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands. Is he saying, break out the antibacterial soap? No. No, he's saying, make sure what you're doing. And believe me, how many of you know the song that we sing? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Right? What our hands touch. Are you with me? What our hands touch. He's saying, keep yourself clean. He's talking about the mind and the heart, isn't he? He's talking about that inward person, that thing you cannot see. He's saying, keep it clean. Put away the evil. When I look at this, he says, submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil. And I believe, folks, we must pray and fast to God and be willing and obedient in our hearts, asking him to spare the nation from becoming spiritually desolate. And I believe me, folks, we may be doing well uh, financially. We may have some prosperity going on, but I'm going to share this with you. I'm going to tell you this right now. Financial prosperity is not spiritual prosperity. And believe me, finances will go away one day. <laughs> and what do you have left? Now, the second thing is this. The Lord has uh, a cause, and he wants us to meet with him about it. There's a coming together with the Lord. So he told them, uh, put away the evil. But notice this. He tells them, learn to do well. Seek judgment, relieve the oppressed. He gives them all these things. Uh, uh, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. And he says in verse 18, what? Come now. So what does that mean? When are we supposed to go to him? <laughs> if I say come now, what does it mean? It means right now, doesn't it? How many of you have told your children, get over here right what? Now. And you see them wander off the other way. How's that make you feel on the inside? <laughs> when God said come now, he means when? Right now. It's not some other time. It's not some other place. He's saying right now to the nation of Judah, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. He says to them, let me tell you what your condition is now. And many of us know this verse, but I want you to understand, God's indictment is being placed right here. He said right in the middle of this, he said, though your sins be as scarlet, He's saying, you are a mess, isn't he? You folks are a mess. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to his people. <laughs> and he says, you're a mess. Coming together with the Lord, the ways of the Lord are pure, are they not? And they're always right. And, and the desire of our Heavenly Father is that he meets with his people regularly. And for any of us to understand the ways of the Lord, we have to come together with him. You're there in the book of Isaiah. Hold your finger in chapter 1. Turn to chapter 55. Here's other verses that you already know. Verses that may even come to your mind as a believer. And what I'm challenging you with is this. Look at Isaiah chapter 55. Look at verse 6. 
If you're with me, say amen. amen. Seek ye the Lord while he may be what? Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. He's all around us, isn't he? And he's saying, come unto me. He's telling them to come to us. He said, call ye upon him while he is near. Then it says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Now notice this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. I want you to know we can't think like God thinks. He said, I think different than you do. <laughs> and then he says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Remember this. I, I, when I first got saved, I remember taking a sheet of paper and Brother Nichols was talking to me uh, about my relationship with the Lord. And I took a, uh, like those legal notepads. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There's a yellow paper. I tore it off and I bent it in half. Now, I, I got that from when I was in grade school when you had to number your paper. How many of you remember doing that? You bent it in half and you had to number here and then you were that number. And my numbers always went this way. <laughs> no matter what I did, even at the bend, somehow or another, they went this way or they went that way. But, but the thing of it is, I bent the paper in half. At the top of the paper, on the one side, I wrote this. After I, shortly got, after I got saved, I wrote my ways. And on the other side, James, I wrote God's ways. And I wrote down all the things that I did. And I started looking up in the Bible what God had to say about the things that I was doing. <laughs> I want to tell you, I wanted to quit. And there is God's ways, right? And there's my ways. How many of you remember the song from Frank Sinatra? Of course, most of you are Elvis fans probably, so, right? He sang a song called what? My Way. I did it my way. He sure did. Elvis did it his way too. And he ended up on the throne, on the floor, in the bathroom. Dead at age 42. Because he did it how? He did it his way, didn't he? And sometimes we have to get it in our minds when we do it my way, it's going to bring forth problems. You see, what Judah decided to do, they were going to do it their way. <laughs> and God had a problem with that. And the same is true with us today. We might have our way. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of what? Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that we think that we ought to do things, and God says, no, I've got my way. And so what God tells them in this passage, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Listen to this. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God thinks different than we do, don't we? Now, I want to tell you something. He said, come now and let us do what? Reason what? Together. He wants to teach you something, doesn't he? God wants to teach us stuff. And believe me, don't be so high-minded to think you got this down. And I'm going to tell you, I study this book hard, and I study every day. And every time I go in here, I'm thinking, man, I am as about as dumb as a rock. And I need this every day. And I go and I read it, and I realize God is really smart. <laughs> and I'm really dumb. And I need him to guide me in my thoughts. You know, the Bible says, if any of you lack wisdom, do what? Let him ask of God. You see, God says there is a wisdom which cometh from above that is first pure, then peaceable. Are you with me? There's something that comes from God that man cannot provide. And I want to ask you, what are you? We are but men. We're but flesh. 
And if we're consulting with ourselves, we need to start consulting with God. And the difficulties that we find a nation is is because men continually consult with themselves. And for a church of people of God to see revival spring forth, there has to be a meeting of the minds. And that meeting of the minds is us coming now to reason with God. Let's go meet with him. Let's go talk to God. You know, the wonderful thing is, is when you get into the New Testament, there's some things that God provides to us. And you go to Romans chapter 11 and verse 34, he said, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? <laughs> who has God's mind in here? We don't have God's mind. We need God. We need him in our church, in this church. We need revival here. We need revival in our hearts. And if we're going to see revival happen in our nation, it's got to start in the house of God, in the hearts of individual people, individual believers. And we've got to put away the evil, and we've got to come now and reason with God. He said in 1 Corinthians 2.16, For hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him. Now listen to this. But we have the mind of Christ. Woo! Amen? What mind do we have? We have the mind of what? We have the mind of Christ. And the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which is also in what? Christ Jesus. God gave us something, didn't he? Hey, listen, saved person. God gave us his Holy Spirit. Amen? And the Holy Spirit resides in us. And the Holy Spirit wants to hear from God. And the way that he hears from God is through his word, through the preaching of his word, through prayer time. Listen, the Holy Spirit resides in us and we have the mind of Christ. <laughs> Woo! You excited yet? We have something the world doesn't. <laughs> we have the mind of Christ. If you're saved, then the Lord's gifted you. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> you know, once saved, always saved. Do you believe that this morning? <laughs> Once I received my salvation, it's not going away. And the thing of it is, is the day that I got saved, the Holy Spirit now resides in me. <laughs> and I have the Spirit of the Lord in me. And when I look at this, I have the mind of Christ. He wants to reason with you and show you your need and show the great need of our nation. When you look at this, he said, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Hey, listen. You know, when I read that, he's talking about the coming Savior, isn't he? <laughs> Something that was yet future for them, but he's come now for us. And I look at this, and I see this, and we have to share this message of the gospel. And believe me, folks, the cure for sin by God's way is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? No one is getting into heaven without Christ. <laughs> they can have any religion they want, but if they don't have Jesus, they're not getting in. It doesn't matter how good they are. And the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of what? Works. You can't get your way into heaven by working your way into heaven. And believe me, all around us in Mayberry, there are people that believe that they're going to heaven because they are good. And they need Christ. And we need to get the message to them. 1 Corinthians 1 Turn there with me, if you will. 1 Corinthians 1. Keep your finger in Isaiah there. 1 Corinthians 1. If you're with me, say amen. Look at verse 18. Everybody at verse 18? Help me make sure I'm in the right place. <laughs> I believe 
God says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish what? Foolishness, isn't it? You see, what I'm doing this morning, and maybe even you sitting out there in the pew saying, man, my preacher's a fool. He keeps telling us this stuff all the time. I hope you're not in that condition. But he says in this passage, he says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But listen, but unto us which are saved, it is the what? That's the power of God. <laughs> you see, when we go knock on doors, it's not always comfortable. But when we know when we go knock on doors, it's the power of God. It's not anything we do that's going to save that individual. It is who God is that's going to save that individual. Amen? And in essence, we're going from door to door and we're sharing or preaching the foolishness of the cross to them that don't believe, right? But to us, we know it's the power of God. He said, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I love that. Isn't that good? <laughs> God said, I'll, I'll just destroy what they think is so smart. How many of you remember a few years ago when BP Oil had the, uh, uh, the uh, thing break under underground uh, down in the New Orleans area? I think it was down around that area. And, and, and listen, that underground pipe was breaking. And, and I'll never forget President Obama saying, we're going to get this fixed. We have the greatest mines in the world. And they couldn't get it stopped. <laughs> you know what, Brother Chris? God could have went and stopped it. Just like that. You see, sometimes God makes the wise look what? Foolish, doesn't he? They think they're so smart sometimes. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. He said, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made the foolish the wisdom of this world? Made foolish the wisdom of this world? He said, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. What is taking away God in our nation today? You've got to be smart. Use your head, man. I mean, you don't really believe that just one God made this whole world, do you? I mean, obviously, you can tell that there's a history here. We had to evolve from something, didn't we? <laughs> what are they telling us? And, and the thing of it is, is we're just so dumb, we haven't quite figured it out. And listen, those of you that are creationists, you're a bunch of fools. And yet God is going to put all this to rest one day, isn't he? And when you go to the scriptures and you look at this, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. How did you believe? <laughs> Someone told me the gospel. Someone shared the gospel with me. Someone told me that Jesus died for me. Somebody shared that message that's right up there behind me. And when they shared that message, God intervened and he saved my soul from an eternal hell. That's how I got saved. And so I look to this and I say, there's this coming together. So he wants us to put away evil. He wants us to come together. And then the Lord is looking for ready hearts and submissive souls. Look at verses 19 and 20 back in Isaiah. He said, if ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. You know, Judah had found themselves in a very spiritually sin-sick situation. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me, if you will. Chapter 1, if you're with me, say amen. Look at verse 4. He said, Ah, uh, what? Sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. 
They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Why should ye be stricken anymore? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart is what? God's telling them what condition they're in, isn't he? And he's telling them why. And he's saying your condition is the result of your actions. And somehow or another today, we're trying to separate our actions and our sin, and, and someone else is always at fault, but God's saying, no, you're in the condition that you're in because of your own actions. That's why you're in this sin condition. And God said of them, this is the indictment of the whole nation. So the Lord is there for us, and he wants, to yield, he wants us to yield to him. And, and listen, the way to yield is to come to him and listen to him and put away the evil and begin acting upon the word of the Lord. This is relinquishing what I would say what our will is. He says in this, ye shall eat the good of the land. That's a good phrase. You ought to underline that in your Bible. Ye shall eat the good of the land. It's a great phrase. <laughs> ye shall eat the good of the land. When you go in and you begin to study this out, uh, the meaning is you'll have access to the beauty, the joy, the welfare of all that the Lord provides. <laughs> you'll have the joy and the beauty and the welfare, now listen to me, of all that the Lord provides. Not in what I can accomplish and not in what I can do, not in the wisdom of man, but in what the Lord can provide. And the Lord can and will provide revival for a nation. Listen, the Bible clearly teaches us that none should perish, but all should come to what? Repentance. God wants man to get saved. And the only way for men to get saved is for us to take the gospel to them. And so we see that this can happen in a nation. And this is for a nation. This is for a church. This is for a people. This is for an individual. I want you to turn to something with me real quick. And when God looks down into your heart, I want you to think about this when we read this verse. What kind of Christian does he find? When he looks down at you personally, who does God see? What kind of a heart do you have? If God's looking right down at you and he's looking into your heart, what does he see? Would he say, I have a willing and obedient child of God here, or I have a rebellious heart? You see, he told us what's going to happen to the rebellious heart. He says, if you be willing and obedient, you should eat of the good of the land, but if you refuse and rebel, you should be devoured. When I refuse God's word, things begin to happen, and, and mishaps, missteps begin. And things start to go awry. Turn to First Chronicles. I want to show you something. And this is David now talking to Solomon. And it's in chapter 29 of First Chronicles. David talking to Solomon. And here's the thing. David was rejected from building the temple. And God said, the reason that you are being rejected from building the temple is you have too much blood on your hands. Now, David could have gotten mad and threw himself down on the floor and started screaming and kicking his feet and saying, God, this is for me to do. But he turned to Solomon, and he knew that Solomon was the one that was going to now build the temple. And when he turns to Solomon to build the temple, I want you to know something. He did not hand that young man a set of draft prints to be able to build that temple. I want to tell you what he told his son when it came to building the temple. And listen, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Are you with me? And we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. And when I look to the scriptures and I see this in 1 Chronicles, the idea is not, here's a set of drawings uh, for you uh, so that you can go build this temple. I want you to see what he told his son Solomon to do. 
And he turns to him in 1 Chronicles, verse 28. How many of you are with me? And he says, and thou, Solomon, are we in the same place? 1 Chronicles, chapter 28. 1 Chronicles, chapter 28. Say yea or nay to me real quick. He says in verse 9. Everybody in verse 9? And it should start off, and thou, Solomon, my son. Are we there? Notice what he says. He didn't say, now, Solomon... Here's the prince from Dewberry, <laughs> right? He didn't hand him the prince. He didn't say, now here, here's the prince for you. Notice what he tells his son. Now God told David, you're not building it, Solomon is. Now watch this. And he says to Solomon, and Solomon, and thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations and the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen thee to build an house for a sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Then David gave to Solomon his son the pattern of the what? Did he give him the pattern of the porch first? Or did he give him the life lesson first? Are you with me? He gave him the lesson of what to do. And if he was going to walk with God, it wasn't about building that temple. It was about the very fact that he's walking with God. Then you build that temple. And listen, if our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, how can we expect to build this thing if we're not consulting with the Lord to be able to do so? It takes an almighty God to make that happen. And if we want the good of the land, and we want that joy, and we want that, uh, what God provides, then we're going to go to God. We're going to come and reason with God. We're going to put away the evil that's in our lives. We are going to seek out our Heavenly Father. We're going to do it with a willing and obedient heart. You know, when I read the Scriptures, he says at the end of this, he said, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Well, you ought to underline that in your Bible. God does not backtrack on his word. When God speaks, he means it. And here's the challenge for us. The Lord is a God of promises. Would you agree with that this morning? He's a God of promises. He's a promises kept. And Judah, to recover from this downward spiral, this sin-sick situation, if they refuse and rebel, they got some trouble on their hands coming, don't they? And here it is. We reject turning away from the Lord and defying his ways and have a willing and obedient spirit. Listen, revival will begin. It can begin right here at Calvary Chapel Baptist Church right here this morning. Revival can begin. And what it is is God's looking for willing and obedient hearts. In Joshua, he says this in 23, 14, and 15, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things that the Lord your God spake concerning you. He said, when God spoke, it happened. When God spoke, it happened. And he goes on and he says, uh, in this passage, he said, therefore it shall come to pass that all good things are come upon you which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things until he have destroyed you from off the good land which the Lord your God hath given you. In the same way that he promised you the good, he can take it away. He can take it away. Now the challenge for us in Hebrews 6, 10 through 12, for God is not unrighteous to forget the work and labor of love which he have showed toward his name 
and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. <laughs> There's promises made by God to us, folks. Listen, he desires for us to win the lost. That's the job of Calvary Chapel. It really is. We can do a lot of things, folks. But the primary goal is to win the lost. It's not to have the most programs. It's not to have the best looking website. <laughs> it's not to have the shiniest floors. But it's to win people with the lost, with the gospel. That's what it is. As we look at this, the Lord wants willing and obedient believers that will believe in his promise. So I'm going to leave you with this challenge. God wants to move this community from darkness to light. Right here in Minster, he wants that to happen. Now, here's the thing. We've got this revival coming up. Brother Summerdorf is coming. There are people that you know and you can touch their lives that I'll never meet. I'll never meet them. And believe me, I give every effort to try to get people to come to church here. Every effort that I can, every opportunity I can, I try to get people to come. But here it is. You have access to people I'll never have access to. And you know people that need Jesus Christ. Right? I'm making every effort I can to reach the lost with the gospel, but there are people that you can invite. I'll never meet them. On September 8th, we're holding what's called revival services. And yes, it's to help revive us, but part of revival is also reaching the lost. It's to try to spark in us and get us going again. But I'm praying you have someone in your heart and in your mind right now that you'd say, you know what? I'm going to make every effort to get them through the door. Not just so you can earn the base, <laughs> but that you might see them come to the kingdom of God. Let me challenge all of our hearts this morning. We're going to go to the Lord with heads bowed, eyes closed. Let's quietly stand our feet.